0: You're listening to Just One of the Guys, where it's going to take a while before this issue is only a memory.
1: My mind is filled with thoughts of you, I think about the days of two, I search the room, but you're not there. Two lingers everywhere But it's only a memory what I love was going to be
0: Only a memory Broken bits of you and me Only a memory and welcome to another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast hosted by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. This is episode 170 of the show, and of course, we're going to be covering the Green Lantern comics, as we always do. The Green Lantern comics specifically starting with cover date June 1990 and ending with cover date November 2004. And the ones that I love the most are the ones that feature Kyle Rayner and Guy Gardner. Unfortunately, we're coming to a part where... Not really liking the comics. Yeah, I've been kind of divided on the way that I feel about the Ben Rabe run. Initially, I thought it was kind of good and a little interesting, a sort of change of pace from the Ron Mars run and John Whittinger run. But now we get an issue that's a clip show. Six issues into Ben Rabe's run, and we've decided to do a clip show episode. Uh, again i'm trying to keep it positive trying not to fall into the trap that everyone has told me about this run of uh, green lantern and how awful it is but it's really not selling me on it right now I'm, i'm afraid that it's only gonna get worse until ron mars comes back so we may be reaching a rough patch in the green lantern story and I'm not looking forward to, to covering this all that much today, but since it's part of an indexing show, I'm going to cover it all and going to try and do my best to maintain my sunny and happy attitude about it. Maybe some promos will make me happy. Maybe the ads will make me happy. Maybe listening to more of the Smithers will make me happy. Let's do a little of that, shall we? Oh
1: This is Huckleberry Ham, and when I'm not busy making movies or TV shows, I enjoy listening to my favorite internet radio show, Two True Freaks. They got all sorts of shows for y'all to listen to, covering all sorts of geeky topics. Star Trek, Star Wars, cartoons, scary movies, folks eating supper, music, giant monsters, and one feller who buys stuff at garage sales. And the funny books, my word, the funny books, old funny books, new funny books, scary funny books, movies about funny books, funny books about movies, British fellers talking about funny books, and lots more. So why don't you check these fellers out head on over to twotruefreaks.com and tell them Huckleberry sent you. Two True Freaks, chock full of great podcasts since 2008. It was the dawn of the third age of comics, fifteen years after the rise of the Comics Code Authority. The Bronze Age was a dream given form. Its goal? To portray superheroes in a way that was socially relevant by tackling real world issues. It's a catch all, a place to explore monsters, demons, gunslingers, gods, and superheroes alike. Writers and artists wrapped in house styles of sophisticated realism, creating the stuff of legends. There is no assurance of quality, but it's our last best hope for comic books. This is a retrospective of the true golden age. The year is 1970. The name of the podcast, Uncovering the Bronze Age. Tune into our feed for regular content at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com also home to the quarter Bin podcast and the short box showcase this is tokyo once a city of six million people what has happened here was caused by a force which up until a few days ago was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination tokyo a smoldering memorial to the unknown an unknown which at this very moment still prevails and could at any time lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. Hi, folks. Luke Giaconetti here. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like giant monsters, or as they're called in Japan, kaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at Two true Freaks. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. Hi, this is Patrick, and this is my Dad. dad. And we record a podcast called Make Dad Read Comics. And to best understand what the podcast is about, explain what we do on the podcast, Dad.
0: Well, my son he used to read, well, he still reads comics. He's 30 years old, he reads comics.
1: And he used to read comics back to high school, and I made fun of them. And then one day I was thinking, as he was talking to me, that, you know, when you make fun of something, really, you're showing your ignorance. So perhaps I should actually look at these comics. So he started having me read these comics, and boy, oh boy, they are something different. Are they designed for low-life and, and dumb people? <laughs> no, 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 no. I've learned they're really not designed for low life and dumb people, but they are frivolous to a large degree. Silliness runs through them. So, if you want to be frivolous and silly, but not dumb and low-life, please listen to Make Dad Read Comics. You can find us on iTunes. It is Make Dad Read Comics, and he gets a treat for reading comics.
0: I do. <laughs> Every week. Every week, something good for the pastry shop.
1: Something good for the pastry shop. Bye.
0: And we are back. <sighs> Unfortunately, I don't have any emails to read, so I guess I could talk more about the promos. Make dad read comics. Definitely go out and check out that show, Patrick and uh, Patrick and his dad. Actually, by this time, probably celebrated episode one hundred, which is a landmark episode, and hopefully, uh, Dad enjoyed his cake. That, that'd be kind of cool. <sighs> Trying to think of anything else I can do. <sighs> Let's just get on with it. Greenlander number 170. Cover dated December 2003 and released on October 29th of 2003. Having a cover price of two twenty five US and 350 Canada, the title of this one was Greetings from Sector 2814. The writer was Benjamin Robb. The guest penciler was Chris McLaughlin. The guest anchor was David Roach. Letterer was Kurt Hathaway. The Colors and Separations by Moose Bowman. The assistant editor was Nache Castro. And the editor was Bob Shrek. On the moon base JLA Watchtower, Green Lantern John Stewart is enduring a 12-hour monitor duty shift, as well as Wally West Flash's praise of the new book written by Neil Peart. Wondering why Wally is so focused on pestering him, John is saved from Wally's desire to hang out by an intruder alert. It appears that an Omega-level alien threat is approaching Earth, and being the closest hero who can travel into space to intercept the unknown, John zips out of the watchtower. Trapping the ashen Amazonian stripper in a ring construct cage, John asks just what her intentions are, as well as how much a lap dance is. The alien stripper, who is in fact the Aresia-aged guardian Liana, zaps the cage off of her and around John, telling him that she bears a message from a distant friend. Cut to Kyle Rayner's Blinker Street apartment, where a showering Jenlyn Hayden is suddenly interrupted by Liana and John wanting to talk, or perhaps engage in the opening scene of one of those Axel Braun Green Lantern porn parodies, I'm not sure. Fortunately, Liana allows Janie to get dressed and then has her assemble in the living room with John, Marin, and Terry for the aforementioned message. As Liana lays the Owen memory crystal on the coffee table, a crystalline image of Kyle pops up and recounts the goings-on of the past few weeks. He tells of the rescue missions and bug-swatting, the run-ins with talking turtles and entropy clouds, a smackdown with Shiro Nova who isn't nearly as cool as a smackdown with Aldo Nova, Another smackdown with a quote-unquote living god on a religious planet. Another smackdown with some demons who wanted to kill a bug's soul. And the reforming of some Green Lanterns in order to take down the Black Circle. He also mentioned things he's missed on Earth, including movie watching with the group, art deadlines with Terry, and super happy fun time with Jenny. Saying he can't wait to make it back home, Kyle signs off and Liana asks for the Assembled to record a message of what they've been doing for him to watch. Marin goes first, telling of her move out of John's apartment and search for a job. John follows with tales of taking out hair metal sonar and joining the Justice League. Terry tells of his rise in media stardom, as well as his moving in with David, but how he's also widened the rift between him and his parents. But when Liana turns the crystal to Jenny to have her record her message, she balks and flies off into space, saying that Kyle needs her. Liana intercepts her and says that it isn't fear that's keeping her from speaking with Kyle. It's guilt. Guilt that she is no longer in love with him. Jenny starts to laugh, saying that no matter where Kyle is, she will always love him. Liana counters, asking if she loved him so deeply. Why did she leave him alone? Liana offers her the crystal once more and asks if she'll record her thoughts and feelings as well. Sometime later... Jenny makes it back to the apartment only to hear the answering machine record the message from Hottie McEmerald Fever asking if she'd like to go out and grab a drink, despite the fact that she still has a boyfriend. Okay, when do most TV shows show that they are bereft of new ideas or concepts? The answer? When they decide to do a clip show episode. And this is the comic book equivalent of that. And this is also just six issues into Ben Rabe's run. Barely enough to do a trade paperback, and you're doing a clip show issue? How weak is your writing to necessitate that? And the artist Chris McLaughlin, who isn't bad in general, I haven't seen any of his other work, he does some of the most egregious figures I've seen of these characters. Add to that the ambiguous ending with Jenny feeling guilt and not being able to tell Kyle what's been going on because she's trying to cheat on him? This is just really awful. I'm trying to think, is this book as bad as issue 37 from the original run? The football issue that Gerard Jones wrote? No, but it's bad in its own merits, and it's not very good as an issue at all. I'm hoping things turn around. I really hope that Thomas D.J., who warned me off about this era of the book... Isn't right. But it's kind of looking like he is. But as usual. Let's try and go through the book. And see if we can pull out a little positive out of it. The cover again. Another Ariel Alabetti cover. It's alright. However looking at the cover. I don't really see Kyle's face in there. With the mask. And the way it's being posed. It looks a lot more like Hal. Than does Kyle. But. It's passable, so I'm trying to find positive things here. Page one, I guess John and the other heroes look good. You've got Wonder Woman and Superman and Batman and the monitor screens. But McLaughlin is drawing Wally West really wonky. He looks sort of like a red-haired Jason Segel from How I Met Your Mother. It's just odd. And I did do some research Yes, drummer for the band Rush, Neil Peart did write a book around this time, and unfortunately, it was dealing with the loss of the loss of his nineteen-year-old daughter and wife. The book was called Ghostwriter: uh, Times on the Healing Road, and I think this came. When was this? This had to be right after. I think this came out after Test for Echo. If you're fans of Rush out there, Scott Davis probably knows when this came out. Page 3, it makes sense that John would try and capture this alien flying towards Earth, not knowing that the Guardians have suddenly decided to take up uh, jobs as dancers at the Pink Pony, so that had to be quite a shock for him. Page 4, I mean, even Jenny being in the shower, which is drawn very well here and done very tastefully, it's cheesecake but not bad, would be fun in any other book, but... Here, with the final panel of Liana looking in on her and John looking kind of embarrassed, it's just uncomfortable. and It's just uncomfortable. And speaking of uncomfortable, page 5, panel 1. We see the assembled people sitting on the couch while Liana is kneeling down in front of them. Unfortunately, we're seeing Liana from the backside, and we see exactly what that little thong thing is doing in their back, and it's it's essentially just writing right up between her butt crack, laced over her shoulders. It's just, why do we have to look at this? It's really an awkward and awful design. And on the same page, Terry calling her a drag queen doesn't help matters. It's, it's sloppy, unfunny writing. Moving through the book, pages 7 through 12, Kyle's recap of what's going on is essentially a, a big clip show. We've got five splash pages of showing what happened in the last six issues. You know, Kyle saving the robot rebellion, smashing bugs, uh, fighting against the blind with the people from the tsunami, the turtle and the sort of bug alien and the horny cat girl. We see him fighting against Shironova, which again, Well, I guess here, I guess Shiro does look a bit more masculine, so there's that. Got the whole thing with the planet of the religious people who wanted Kyle to fight the god when it was all a plot by the Black Circle. And then uh, him fighting to rescue tattooed, black tattooed Kilowog. Page 13... Panel 2, I will admit that I do like this piece of artwork here. It's an image of uh, John and Kyle and Marin and Jenny just hanging around uh, Kyle's apartment watching Akira Kurosawa films, which is kind of fun. Everyone looks very comfortable and natural here, and Kyle doing a little ring construct of, oh, what's his name, Toshiro Infiume, the, the character who was the star of a lot of Kurosawa's films. That's really great. However, it's kind of belied on the bottom panel when Kyle is trying to kiss Jenny, and he looks like he's opening his mouth ready to swallow her face. It's uh... page fourteen, making the reveal that Kyle recorded this message on the Owen memory crystal ball about two weeks ago. So essentially, Jenny has had two weeks to maybe meet up with the hottie McEmerald Fever or, or not. It's kind of left up to you what happened, and if anything did happen, and it aggravates me that I have to think about that. Pages 15 through 17, we get back to the recaps with stuff from Marin, John, and Terry, and I guess we get the idea that Terry's parents aren't happy with him still, even though that he hasn't contacted them and doesn't know if they're unhappy with him, so that's still a subplot that I'd like to see resolved. I'd I'd hope that his parents would eventually come around, but that may not be the case. But then on page 18, and I can't believe I'm going to nitpick about this because it's just horrible, it's another shot behind as Jenny knocks out Liana, and we get another shot of her straps going into her butt cheeks. But this time out, it's a different style. Instead of there being a sort of single strap going over to her shoulders, being held together by a loop in the middle. It's just two straps. If you're going to draw horrible, disturbing stripper clothes on a character, at least be consistent with it throughout the book. It just, and the fact that I'm commenting on how much this bugs me about something that bugs me in the book is just how frustrated I am with this. And Speaking of frustration, it goes. just brings me to the end of the book, where we see Jenny coming in from space into her apartment, and she gets the message from hottie McGumroll fever about wanting to go out for drinks, and she suddenly now decides to tell her little story on the memory crystal to Kyle. We don't know what she's going to say. I hope it's going to be something that she hasn't done anything, that she still loves him, but we're not going to find out, probably for another issue at least. Like I said, still not reading ahead, and right now I'm kind of dreading reading ahead. This was a really, <clears throat> really, really bad issue, and I'm, I'm sorry you folks had to listen to me talk about it. Hopefully the ads will make up for the awfulness of this issue. And we'll have to see, because starting with the front and inside cover, it's uh, utuki. It's another one of those sort of weird anime fighting games with some spawn-like demon. I think we covered that before. Got the advertisement for Zap-Zit, the Oxycream thing. One would think you'd probably sell more of your product if you didn't have the name of the thing that you're trying to eliminate in it, especially if that thing is Zit, sort of disgusting thing, and that just... Maybe that's just me. After that, oh, well, this is an interesting one. It's a game for the GameCube game Beautiful Joe. I never played this game, but I've heard really good things about it. It's a nice sort of side-scroller, cell-shaded game about this very, I guess, sort of anime-type superhero It's a henshin a go go, I guess that's what they say, and it's a really colorful, dynamic looking game that I've heard was really fun. Uh, You know, unfortunately, this is from the time period where I wasn't really playing games, but I remember watching shows like uh, X Play and all that, and them heavily promoting this game. I think it winning maybe even Game of the Year, so Uh, that's interesting. We see actually really good game in the year. Of course, when I say we have a good game, we also have right on the next page the space colony game, which has the sort of stereotypical pump characters in a what I guess a sort of platformer type game or a RPG type game. I have no idea. Oh, the first person or the first personality sim builder game. Yeah, we covered this before. Doesn't look all that good, especially even for you know, 2003 graphics. It looks like it jumped right out of the 90s. We've got the uh, an advertisement for the two-disc DVD of the Hulk movie, the uh, one done by Ang Lee with Eric Bana. It comes with uh, top illustrations from around the world. Uh, from around the world, recreate a scene from the film in their own animation styles, or top illustrators from around the world. An inside look at the creation of the spectacular dogfight scene, Yes, the Hulk dogs. I, I've been fortunate enough not to see this movie, and an interactive explanation that allows you to experience the Hulk's physical capabilities. Basically, he just gets big and smashes things. Isn't that enough? Whatever. An advertisement after that for juicy fruit twisted strappleberry gum. Weird. I don't get it. But then after that, speaking of video games, again, we get the beginning of a franchise. It's Call of Duty, and it's specifically advertised by the Audigy 2ZS sound card by Sound Blaster. I think I remember having... I know that I had to have bought an Audigy sound card, and it was supposed to give you 5.1 stereo surround, and now essentially it's basically I use what's you know hooked up to the computer because... Odigy is basically Fallen by the Wayside. But at the time, it was pretty cool, and Call of Duty is out, so... Duty. After that, we can add for the Simpsons Hit and Run game, which I've heard, again, was another really fun game along the lines of Beautiful Joe. Very interactive, allowed you to drive cars all around Springfield, and basically go to various different sites and smash it all up. And again, this is a game that I... If I was playing in the air, I probably would have been really engaged by it. Then after that, we've got a kind of interesting thing. It's a Zodiac. It looks like a a smaller version of a PSP or a Game Boy with a sort of flat screen. It's uh, showing Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 4 on there. Uh, it's a Palm device. And if you know, Palm OS was really sort of one of the founding competitors to like blackberry at the time unfortunately palm sort of fell by the wayside once the apple dropped the iphone and you know made the touch screen ipod so it's an interesting thing but yeah i don't think this really went much of anywhere because i've never heard of the zodiac play device after that, we get the same advertisement for Soul Calibur II. This one shows the image of Spawn on the uh, sword, so you can play with Spawn. Then you've got an uh, Xbox and PlayStation game of Bucky, Buffy, sorry, the Vampire Slayer, in Chaos Bleeds. And once again, if you know anything about ported uh, games from TV shows or movies, chances are they're as crappy as this issue. After that, another caliber, Soul caliber game with uh, the old guy, Lee Van Cleef, on it, I guess. Why not? I guess you could fight as Lee Van Cleef. That'd be kind of fun. Uh, you've got Top Gear Rally, the next game, which is essentially a racing game. I think it looks like it's for the Nintendo DS. So there you go. Got Milk has a new advertisement. This one has Brad Johnson. I guess he's a football player. Brad Johnson, does he ring any bells? I don't know who football players are. I know Tom Brady, you know, cheats. I guess that's something. Got a weird advertisement for Every Day is Game Day. Go out and play. It's for Verb. It's basically having kids get active. And what makes it kind of creepy is it's some kids playing in their backyard, some volleyball, and on the side of the fence, you know, watching them or Bunch of these press people with these big giant cameras with these huge lenses, trying to get pictures of these teenagers playing games. That's a weird advertisement. Very stalkery. Eww. After that, you get another advertisement for a failed franchise game that went nowhere. People tend to look at you differently when you stuff a voodoo doll full of laxatives. Okay. It's an advertisement for Voodoo Vince. I guess it's another weird platformer game where you play a voodoo doll or you give people a voodoo doll. Again, never heard of it. We've got the same advertisement for the Oxyclean uh, pads with the uh, people trying to find various ways to cover up their zits. Uh, an interesting ad for Reality TV just got a little loonier. It's 40 f- new created cartoons from the, uh, Looney, Tunes, from the Looney Tunes group. Um, I guess this is when uh, Looney Tunes Back in Action was out in theaters, and they decided to sort of revamp the Looney Tunes, and I think, I want to say Billy West had something to do with this. I know he probably did some of the voices of, I think, Elmer Fudd, and maybe eventually Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck as well. It might have been Jim Cummings doing it as well, but eh, the Looney Tunes have really just not succeeded all that well ever since Mel Blank passed away. The back inside cover is uh, the Batman Rise of Sin Tzu game, which uh, praises that uh, Sin Tzu was created by comics legend Jim Lee. I think we talked about this earlier, based on the Batman the Animated Series style of animation. And the back outside cover is an advertisement for Batman vs. Batwoman, or Batman the Mystery of the Batwoman, which is a movie that I really need to go see. I know... Gene Hendrix has told me about it and, you know, told me what the, you know, basically, basically he spoiled it for me, but because my memory has been so racked with how awful this book was, I just completely forgot what it was. But that does it for the comic, that does it for the issue, and that does it for the show. I certainly, certainly hope that next time out it'll be more fun. Hopefully the show was at least kind of fun. It's always nice to rip into an issue every once in a while. It's sad that I had to rip into this one because this was just bad. Like I said, hopefully, fingers crossed, next time out it'll be better. We'll find out about that in seven days. Until then, everyone, thank you for listening to Just One of the Guys, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Inkle. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respected copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books could be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcomed, too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at the brand new 2 True Freaks website, located at 2 there you can find the RSS feed, as well as scans of the covers, and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Two True Freaks Presents Just One of the Guys podcast, and you, su- you can subscribe to the show there. You can search for me on Facebook as well. And now you can find me there, as it was a requirement of my new Demanzacor contract. But it doesn't mean that I'll be joining their little Candy Crush group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. The opening music for today's show was The Smithereens and their song, Only a Memory, off the album Green Thoughts. Once again, the Smithereens is a great band, which I think you should buy a lot of music from them. Of course, if you're wanting to you buy a lot of music from the Smithereens or any of the other bands I've mentioned on the show, on previous shows, obviously, I only mentioned the Smithereens on this one, I'd suggest you go to Amazon.com to download either the MP3 or perhaps even buy the CD of the song. Of course, if you want to go to Amazon.com, before you do that, I'd ask you to go first to 2 if you go to 2 and click on the Amazon banner in the upper left hand corner of the page, you'll be transported to Amazon where you could buy the Smithereens, the Smiths, the Sex Pistols, I'm certain there's other bands out there with S in their name, and all of the bands you could buy them for reasonably low prices. Plus, every time that you use the link at 2 to buy something from Amazon.com, a little amount of your purchase price goes back to the website. Because Amazon is so kind that they allow us to advertise them with them, advertise with them, we get a little bit of payback from them. Of course, you won't see anything extra taken out of your account. It's just how wonderful Amazon is. So, anytime you're thinking about buying any type of entertainment, music, movies, or whatever from Amazon.com, please make sure you use the link at TutorFreaks.com.